You're listening to the sermon audio from Redemption Church. Redemption Church exists to exalt Christ, edify the saints, and evangelize the world for the glory of God. For more information on Redemption Church, just go to redemption.church. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. What a joy it's been to worship the Lord together, and what beautiful truths we just sang about. And I tell you what, it's just such a joy to sing those spiritual songs together as we worship the Lord. And of course, if you are a kindergartner, first grader, you're welcome to head off to Bible study, and so feel free to head on over. And for the rest of you, let me invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. But before we really dive into the text, um, as most of you know, back in December, um, as a church, we voted to purchase land off of Merck Road as a future site for building. And if you've gone by the last couple of days, you might have seen this sign up on the property. And so we have officially closed on the land. So uh, according to the County of Wilson, it belongs to Redemption Church of Wilson now. And so you can drive by and take a look at that sign. And so I wanted to give you a little bit of a few updates, uh, particularly to our members, but also to any of you who are here just wanting to know exactly what's going on. And so in order to kind of celebrate uh, the, the the purchase of this land and excited about what God is going to be doing in the future, we're actually next Sunday afternoon, so after church at 2 p.m., so it should give you time to go eat lunch, go to the bathroom after a long sermon, right? And then and then meet back at the land at 2 p.m. next Sunday. And we're just going to gather around. We're not going to spend a ton of time out there, but just wanted to gather around as a church and lock our arms together and just pray uh, for God's blessing upon us as a church and for this future building site. So that's next Sunday at 2 p.m., just informally. All of our covenant members, we'd encourage you to come. If you're not a covenant member, you're welcome to come too. We're just going to come pray uh, for this land and pray that God would bless it and for his will to be accomplished. And so that's next Sunday at 2 p.m. And then also we've been getting a few questions about, well, what's next? What's happened? We got the land now. We, we, own, you know, we own it. Uh, we were able to pay for it, cash outright, just thanks to the Lord's blessing. So what are those next steps in terms of building on this land? And so I wanted to give you just a brief update a little bit from the elders on kind of where things are standing and what's next. And so the big thing is we as elders, we want to see our giving level hit a certain threshold monthly uh, before we're ready to take tangible action and, and putting formal plans and, and getting everything in place to actually begin the building process. And so we're optimistic. We're hoping that we'll be able to hit that threshold this upcoming year sometime uh, but again, we're kind of waiting on, on the Lord and for his provision in that. So let me encourage particularly our covenant members that uh, if you give monthly and faithfully, thank you for doing so. And But that uh, number we're keeping an eye on is that general fund number. We want to see it reach to a certain level of monthly income, monthly gifts, uh, before we take those tangible steps. So if you're a member giving monthly, thank you. In fact, we would, of course, encourage you to continue to pray about ways that you might continue to bless uh, our congregation as you give to the Lord, if you might increase those monthly gifts. And then if you're a covenant member and you're not giving monthly, we strongly encourage you to do so. And of course, you can give in our giving box every Sunday. It's sitting right there. Uh, but you can also go through the Church Center app or go through our website and you can set up a, a monthly gift there. And that helps us see kind of what our monthly income is. And so as an elders, we're, we're keeping a close eye on that number so that we can begin to take those tangible steps forward. So God has just continued to be just pouring out his blessings upon us 
as a church. We have so much to be thankful for, and this is a really exciting time for our church. And so we're optimistic that this will happen sooner rather than later. But again, we want to be patient, and we don't want this building to be a burden around our neck. We want to make sure it's a blessing, and so we don't want to stretch ourselves too thin by jumping into the building process too too fast before we're ready for it. So we're excited, and we pray that you continue to pray about this. And of course, join us for prayer next Sunday at 2 p.m. on the land as we just go to the Lord and just thank him for his blessings and and pray for for future blessing as well. So let's go ahead and look to Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to read verse 42 through 47. So Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Here's what the word of the Lord says. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we gather this morning, we have so much to be grateful for. Lord, you have provided us so generously, Lord, with this wonderful land that we are so eagerly and excited about what will come as we make plans to build and as we create a permanent home for us in our community, an outpost for which we can do ministry around this city and around our county. But God, as we turn our attention to your word, Lord, we find ourselves incredibly thankful for the gift of the local church a community of believers grounded and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we thank you for the church, Lord, I just want to thank you for this church who in so many ways vividly puts into practice the sort of life and ministry that we see described here in Acts chapter 2. And so God, we pray, Lord, that as we work through this text, as we hear it preached, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and and help us to apply it to our hearts and into our lives. And Lord, that Christ would be lifted up amongst us as we worship him and him alone this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, if you are like me, when you read this passage from Acts chapter 2, it almost sounds a little mythical, doesn't it? Sounds almost too good to be true. It kind of sounds like an imaginary dream. Can, can church really be this wonderful? And, you know, as we read it and we think, you know, this, this almost doesn't sound realistic. You know, after all, you might be thinking, have you seen churches today? <laughs> they, they don't often represent this sort of ideal vision of church community that Luke presents to us here in this church right after the Spirit comes after Pentecost. And so if you're not a Christian, you might be, be thinking, well, this is not the sort of churches I hear about. You know, the churches I hear about in this country, they're, they're often a place of judgments. They're a place of maybe strict moral 
codes that seem to be out of step with the modern world today. Or, or you might be thinking that, you know, well, church is, is not a place for, for people like me, people with my life, people that think like I think. Maybe you think the church is a, a group of argumentative people, you know, focused on capturing political influence and power. And so to you, as you, as a non-Christian look at the church, you just think of the, the church as no different than any other social group, social club that has its own agenda. The church is just a, a bunch of lobbyists seeking to exert its agenda upon the world. And so to you, church just doesn't seem to make much sense. And from your observation, there isn't anything distinctly tangible or wonderful about the church at all, let alone what you read here in Acts chapter 2. But, but even for Christians, as we look at the, the present state of the church today, and then we look at Acts chapter 2, you can kind of get a little cynical almost, can't you? You know, yeah, right. This can't be it. You should have seen some of the churches that I've grown up in, the churches I've been a part of. And if you are, are like me, and if you grew up in the churches I did, you know, the, the, the powerful and compelling community that we read about here in Acts chapter 2 might not reflect your own experiences. Perhaps you were wounded by your church. Maybe you didn't hear the, a gospel of grace, the true gospel, but you heard a false gospel of moral conformity, some sort of shaky distortion built on this idea of self-made religion. You've heard divisiveness. You've heard gossip. You've heard preferences and power taking precedent over the life of the church, and you've walked into churches on Sunday morning, and you have felt tangibly the, the dead and dry and stale worship of those who are gathered supposedly in the name of Christ. And in response to your own church upbringing, you might be thinking, well, why, why bother with the church anyway? Acts chapter 2, what we read here, that can't really happen. That sort of church can't exist. So let it just be me. Let it be me and Jesus. Who needs the church? Who needs the people of God anyway? So I don't want to easily dismiss either of those two concerns, either from the non-believer looking into the confusing messaging of the church today, or to the Christian who has been burned and hurt and disillusioned by a large swath of unhealthy churches. Like many of you, I've had these same sorts of wrestlings, these same sorts of concerns in my life. And I, I remember thinking earlier in my life, why bother with the church anyway? Why, why bother? Why invest myself in a local church? So I think in many ways, the local church today is at a crisis moment in our country. And I think more than ever, we need to recover a biblical vision of what community looks like in the local church. And as I've studied the scriptures, as I've sought God's word, I've become increasingly convinced that God's plan to spread the gospel to the nations, to, that God's plan to, to preserve the saints in his grace, and God's plan to bring glory to himself happens in and through the local church. After all, this is God's plan. It's not your plan and it's not my plan. God's plan is the church. And not only that, but I've 
I've become convinced that Acts chapter 2 here, it's not some idealized fantasy of life in the local church, but this is a genuine description of what happens to any church that roots themselves and grounds themselves in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when the Spirit, and we hear the wind of the Spirit now blowing, don't we, as it wishes, that when the Spirit of God fills the people of God with the Word of God, the community of God is birthed. I'll say that one more time. When the Spirit of God fills the people of God with the Word of God, the community of God is birthed. So though Luke gives us here this beautiful snapshot of life in the early church, we and in all of our failures, we should aspire to cultivate the sort of community life that we see described here in Acts chapter 2. This community of believers who desires to see the gospel take shape in how they live their life together. A communal life shaped by word and spirit. So if you're not connected as a covenant member to our church, I pray that as I I preach this text today, that you would become convinced that you need to be a part of a, a local church. That you need to be a part of a local body and that you might desire to lock arms with us here at Redemption Church. And I, and I hope that for those of us who are a part of this body, that we would seek to increasingly put into practice what we hear from God's word today and that our church would be continually shaped by the scriptures in our fellowship together. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, we see the community of the church form after 3,000 join their numbers after the day of Pentecost. So here's the the sermon summary. The gospel births a spirit-filled community called the church. The gospel births a spirit-filled community called the church. So as we see this gospel and this spirit-filled community, as we examine what it looks like, I want to urge us into nine actions that will help us become the local church that God has called us to be. So nine actions, I think this text is urging us as members of this body to put into practice as we seek to be the church God has called us to be. So let's talk about the first one. There are nine of them, so we're going to move a little fast, right? So here's the first one. First, hear the taught word. Hear the taught word. So just in verse 42, This one verse, we get four different activities that the early church committed themselves to. And we see the first one here, that the word used is devoted, right? They were devoted. Now, these these activities were not just one-off events that we describe here in verse 42. But rather, these were regular habits of the church's life together. They were committed to practicing these things. And so the first thing that we see listed here in verse 42 that they were devoted to is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. So again, after 3,000 souls repented and trusted Christ, they needed to learn more about Jesus. They needed to learn more about this gospel and, and how Jesus was the fulfillment of God's word. So the Christians then devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word from the apostles. So we have already seen, right? Link back to last week when we talked about Peter's sermon at Pentecost, we have already seen that Peter's sermon was clearly expositional, right? It expands. 
expounded upon God's word. It explained God's word to those who were listening and how it was fulfilled by Jesus. And so the teachings of scriptures taught by the apostles dominated the early life of the church. And here we learn, I think, one important aspect of first importance of gospel community is that the local church must be a place where the word of God is taught and the apostolic gospel shared. And in this spirit-filled congregation, you can't get any more spirit-filled, right, than the the early church right after Pentecost. In this spirit-filled congregation, they did not neglect the teaching of the word of God. As I often say, you can't. You can't pit the Holy Spirit against his word. You You can't do that. And so we see that this spirit-filled community of believers, that they were centered around the teaching of the scriptures. It it took center place in their life together as, as God's people. And so they engaged their minds regularly, constantly, as they were hearing the word taught by their teachers, the apostles. You see, gospel community is a word-centered community. Churches must be be the place where the breathed out word called the Bible is taken seriously. That the teachers of the church must instruct people in it regularly and often encouraging them to, to not just hearing the public teaching of scripture, but encourage them to privately read it for themselves. We read this all over the New Testament, right? That, that pastors are and teachers are to be those who teach in what is accordance with sound doctrine. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. They, they are to preach the word in season and out of season. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. And so then the, this means that pastors and preachers, the teachers of the church, must be careful not to preach their own opinions or insights. The goal is not to be funny or likable or tweetable or relatable. The goal is to teach God's word, to plainly help people grapple with the truths and the implications of the biblical text. So I think there's a reason why this is first on Luke's list of activities of the early church. And I think it emphasizes that the teaching of the apostles must take priority in the church's life together. You see, there are many things that local churches can do but there is none as important as the teaching ministry of the church. See, many today look for for churches like consumers looking to to, to find activities that they like. And they turn churches into this litany of programs and and a buffet of activities. So so when people go and look for church, they're looking for those sorts of things. How's the children's program? Or, or what sort of worship band do they have? Are they any good? Do they have those fancy in-ear monitors or not, right? That's a deal breaker. Or, or you know, do they have a nice website? Or is the building comfortable and, and clean? Important question I ask when I go to church. Is the coffee any good, right? Important <laughs> questions. So, so, so few even consider, sadly, when they go into a church, few even think about the preaching and its importance. And if they do think about the preaching that's happening in that church, they often fail to ask the right sort of questions about the preaching. The question isn't, do I like the preaching or is the pastor handsome, right? The the question is, 
Is it biblical? Is the man teaching the truth? Is this the gospel taught by the apostles? Is what is being taught from the pulpit, is it in accordance with what sound doctrine is? Is the message true? Those are the the important questions that we ought to ask as we approach any church. And so it tells us something about the Christian life here in the book of Acts that the first thing that the early Christians devoted themselves to were the teaching of the apostles. For them, Christianity was not some experience, a worship experience. Rather, they wanted their minds and their lives shaped by the truth of God's word. What they wanted of first importance from their churches was the, was the pure spiritual milk that would be profitable for them to, to grow into maturity as saints. They were hungry, the early church was ravenously hungry. They wanted to know more about this Jesus, more about God's word. They wanted to understand it. Now they had the spirit so they might understand what what the word of God says. So they devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Much more could be said about this, but healthy local churches are communities of saints who hunger for the word of God. They hunger for it. They expect it to be taught rightly, and they joyfully and humbly submit to its teaching. This is of first importance. So I suspect the reason that so many of our churches have failed to live up to this vision that we see here in Acts chapter 2, that the main reason is that they have failed to devote themselves to the teaching of the Scriptures. That's where it starts. And if you don't have the teaching of the word right, of course, everything else is going to be messed up. The word must take center. When the pulpit is weak, when it's devoid of scripture, when it's overly interested in worldly concerns, when it's filled with self-help and jovial nonsense, then the communal life of the church will flounder in carnal selfishness. It'll be the opposite of the sort of communal life we see here see here in the book of Acts. So may we as a church, Redemption Church, may we be faithful, devoted to to hearing the word rightly taught. And I praise the Lord week in and week out. And I'm always so encouraged by, by you, church, for your eagerness to hear the word of God rightly divided. Any health, any joy, any beauty in our fellowship begins because our corporate hunger for the word of God. That's where it comes from. So may God not just sustain our hunger and thirsting for righteousness, church, but may he cause it to grow all the more. So first, we want to hear hear the word. Secondly, we want to care for one another. We want to care for one another. So next we see that the church devoted themselves to the fellowship. The koinonia is the, the Greek term there. You might have heard that term before. So so the word for fellowship speaks to this idea of participation, of of sharing in life with one another. That the local church, yes, devoted themselves to the, the sound teaching of the apostles, but it was within the context of the community of other believers. These weren't just self taught Christians listening to podcasts on their lunch break and reading books in the evening. But their learning, their discipleship, all of it happened within the context of of, of fellowship, of life with one another. 
So the local church involved a commitment to other people. That this fellowship is rooted in the gospel and it's rooted in this shared conviction that we have that Jesus is Lord and Christ. And so as believers who are joined by the Spirit of God to the Lord and to his people, we, we understand that now we have a responsibility to care for one another. Just think about all of the one another passages in the Bible. In the New Testament, you just go through and we could spend a lot of time just reading each of them, but let me just give you a few. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. What about 1 Peter chapter 4? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Or, or how about 1 Thessalonians 5? Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. It's, it's amazing how frequent this, come, this language comes up. Christian fellowship is a, is a one another sort of community, a life that, that lives openly towards others for their good and the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, Christian fellowship is a community of love instigated and empowered by the love of Christ. So just as, as the church is birthed by a, a heavenly love, that love now extends to others in the community, the covenant community of the church that the Lord has placed us in. So this sort of fellowship that we he, see and read about here and in the local church, it wasn't self-focused, but it was others-focused. Life centered around the word and of course, that meant that I concerned myself with the needs of those around me. So the question was, how can I serve them? How can I share my life with them? How can I invest in them? How can I disciple them? How can I use my gifting for their maturity in Christ? That's the question that true Christian fellowship asks. So this sort of fellowship looked like an other-focused mentality. And I pray that that attitude would also be our own. That we would never think, as, as members of this body, that we would never think, well, what can I gain or profit from being here? But that every member of our church would think through ways that we can serve, that we can sacrifice for the good of others around us. You see, a community of servants. This is the, the vision of Christian fellowship. Serving one another in the name of Christ and for the cause of Christ. And that leads thirdly to not only caring for one another, but thirdly, we must feast at the Lord's table. We must feast at the Lord's table. The early church regularly took the Lord's Supper together. Luke tells us that they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. This refers to the ordinance instituted by Christ called the Lord's Supper. So the Bible does not prescribe a, a frequency and how often we ought to be taking the Lord's Supper as a church. But, but here, I think Luke presents it as a regular activity when the church gathered together. So at Redemption Church, we've decided to take the Lord's Supper every, every single Sunday, every week that we gather as a body. And as the, the local church, as the early church gathered, the, the Lord's Supper keeps their focus on Jesus 
keeps the, the center of their focus on Christ. So as they broke bread with one another, every time they gathered, they remembered the, the sufferings of Christ's body. As they drank of the cup, they, they remembered the atonement provided by Christ's blood. So the Lord's Supper is a gift to the church to help reorient and focus our minds upon Christ in our communion with him. You see, our weekly observance of the Lord's Supper focuses us to help us keep Jesus central to our fellowship. As week after week, we recall together the memory of Christ's sufferings and the purpose of his death. It's really hard to make church about you when you take the Lord's Supper each week, right? Because you're constantly reminding yourself of your great need and your brokenness and the great gift of God's Son in Jesus Christ. So it's easy for churches, I think, to get sidetracked with so many other markers for their identity. And sadly, many churches don't find their identity in the gospel each week that they gather. They find it based off of their common ethnicity, their common political views, their shared hobbies or interests. But the Lord's Supper, as we see it play out in the early church, serves as this wonderful call for the church to go back to the source, the grounding of their fellowship, which is the sufferings of Christ. And as the church broke the bread of communion together, it kept their, their community focused and centered on their Savior and King, this Jesus Christ. So we want to come as a church and we want to feast at the Lord's table. But fourthly, we want to pray together. We want to pray together. We have already seen how, how prayer played an active role in the life of the church. So remember before Pentecost, they were gathered in that upper room and we see the followers of Jesus, they're, they're praying, they're devoted to prayer. There's that word again, devoted to prayer in that upper room, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here again, we see that the church is a community of prayer, that they are devoted to prayer, both in public and in private, in corporate gatherings and in smaller gatherings. The church devoted themselves to this task of prayer and healthy churches do the same thing. That every time that the saints of Christ gather together, I think prayer should be a part of, of what we do, of our time together. We should go before the Lord and we should implore him. Every gathering that we have here at CCS, let's pray together. Every community group, let's pray together. Every casual meetup for coffee, let's pray together. May we make a regular habit of praying with and for one another in the local body of Christ. And so my hope is that God would continue to cultivate this habit of prayer amongst us, that we as a church might be known for our, our prayer. This is one of the reasons why we decided it was really important to have some sort of corporate prayer meeting as a church. And so twice a month, we have our prayer meetings on the first and third Wednesdays of the month. And we just wanted a time where we could gather anybody in the body who's free, who's available, who desires to pray, that we can come and gather and pray together. In fact, of course, we have a prayer meeting this upcoming Wednesday. And we would love for you to join us at the Redemption Church office and, and just join us as we grab hands and as we pray and go to the Lord together in prayer. So as you engage in life in this body, don't, don't be hesitant and shyness to pray for others. One of the ways we serve one another is by praying for and with one another. So let us pray, 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 pray. 
Fifthly, we want to display God's power. We want to display God's power. We see this particularly in verse 43 and verse 47. We see the early church displayed God's power much to the amazement of the the watching world. So in the early days, the Lord empowered the apostles to perform all sorts of wonders and signs in order to authenticate the message of the gospel for the early early, uh, world. So the early years of the church often came with incredible power from God. We will see the apostles perform miracles as we work through the book of Acts. And, and look at what's said in verse, thir- verse 43. And we see that all came upon every soul. Every soul. Everybody that watched and observed what was happening in the church through the apostles' ministry, through the, the signs and wonders, all came upon them. And this word all can also be translated fear. You see, as people watched what was happening in the local church, as they saw them gathering publicly at the temple, as they saw the signs and as they saw the wonders, this sort of fearful awe came upon all who heard about the, the church. Clearly, something of God was afoot. Even though those watching might not understand, they they realized something was happening, something distinctive, something peculiar and divine was taking place before their eyes. And so as the church displayed God's power, the community of the early church provided a compelling witness that, that piqued the interest of those who are watching, that there was something incredibly attractive about these people that are gathering together in Jesus' name. Look at what's said in verse 47. We are told that the church had favor with all the people. There's this all, there's this fear taking place. Something is happening, but yet there's something incredibly wonderful and favorable and desirable about what they were observing. And so in the same way, the church ought to display the power of God through its witness and through the love shared in the Christian community. That the holiness of God, And the love of God should be so visibly evident as outsiders look into our church that when a church preaches the true gospel and when they live gospel lives in Christian community, that's something incredibly attractive to the watching world. Something that's all producing, something fearful, something amazing taking place. There's something incredibly attractive about gospel community. And by attractive, I don't mean that sort of seeker-friendly rubbish stuff, right? Birthed by this attractional church that turns churches into shopping malls that that caters to the interests of the world. That's that's not what I'm talking about. But rather, I mean that the, the community birthed by the gospel exposes a deep longing in the hearts of those who want love and acceptance and fellowship and care and concern. And as they watch Christians doing all of that with one another, there's something incredibly attractive about that sort of loving community that the gospel produces. So we live in a world that is plagued, plagued by loneliness. Some have called it an epidemic in our world today. Everyone is looking for a place to belong. Everyone is looking for a place to be known, a place to be yourself, a place to be authentic, a place to to share every struggle, every longing, and yet to receive grace upon grace. Only the gospel can create that sort of community. 
And when the church extends this gospel of grace to one another, outsiders begin to perk up. They begin to listen to the gospel that we proclaim, the gospel that we live. You see, angry and mean-spirited and conflict-ridden churches obscure the grace of the gospel that they proclaim. There is enough squabbling and there's enough division and fighting in this world today. I mean, just go to, to cable news and watch it for five minutes or just pull up Twitter and scroll through your timeline, right? You'll, you'll see that there are all sorts of fights and divisions. And our world is tired of the tribalism, the web of technological feeds that alienate us, isolate us, and ultimately devour us. And so what's unnatural, what's strange, what's bizarre is the sort of community birthed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you have such longings for this sort of community, I hope you will find it here at Redemption Church. We have a, a long ways to go. We certainly do. But I've been so encouraged by the sort of community that God has birthing and forming here in our congregation. I'm eager to see how, how God will use this as, as fuel to our evangelistic efforts, as, as, as what we're sharing about Christ to this world, that what God is doing here is so wonderfully strange that it would be evident that God is amongst us, that his power is here, as the true gospel is proclaimed out of our mouths and exhibited in our life together in community. Sixthly, we want to unite around the gospel. We want to unite around the gospel. We see this particularly in verse 44. Look at what Luke says. And all who believed were together and all had all things in common. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Notice the importance of that phrase, all who believed. All who believed. You see, it is our convictions that provide the foundation for our unity as a church. You see, theology and doctrine don't divide churches. That's actually a misnomer. Theology and doctrine unifies churches. A church confused about what they believe is a church that is already in conflict, though it may take time for them to realize it. It eventually will come out. Unity comes when the entire body of Christ is like-minded around the person and the message of Christ. They are united about what the scriptures say and teach, and they have stated those convictions clearly and convincingly in a shared confession of faith. Confession of faith is just a, a short document that specifies what a church's believe, what a church believes about God and his word. So when we first planted Redemption Church, we carefully, painstakingly perhaps, went through our confession of faith with those who aspired to be the founding members of our church. And we do that still today. And every member's weekend, we spend a good chunk of time walking through our confession of faith. And we know that if we, if we hope to preserve the unity of this congregation, of this body, it's going to require careful teaching of that confession of faith. And the elders then must ensure that every new member is in fact in substantial agreement with that confession of faith because it is the grounds of our unity together in the gospel. Our confession marks the, the boundaries of our fellowship, and it also protects the unity of our congregation. 
Seventh, we give to each other. We give to each other. This was a generous aspect we see of the early church. And we see that they gave to one another generously, but this was not under compulsion, but willingly. Look at what we read in verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. See, this is not, as some have suggested, some sort of uh, forced communal socialism, right? In fact, even if it was, which it's not, but even if it was, that doesn't mean Acts is prescribing us to do the same thing today. So no one in the early church and no one today is compelled to sell everything that they own and distribute it equally amongst the body. That's not what was going on, and that's, that's not what Acts is calling us to do. But what we do see is that the church possessed such deep love, such koinonia, such fellowship with one another that they did not hold back anything when it came to meeting the needs of other brothers and sisters in the body. A hungry church member was a crisis for the whole congregation. You see, there's a special burden that Christians have for those who belong in the same local church. You know, we certainly can't care for every hungry person in the world. We can't do it, even if we wanted to. And even though it's good for us to be a part of global relief efforts, we should and we should do everything we can. We can't feed every hungry person in Wilson. Though, again, we should do as much as we can to make sure those who are hungry in Wilson have food to eat. But we do have a responsibility to make sure our own brothers, our own sisters, our own covenant members in this body, that no one in our congregation is hungry. You see, as members, we should have a generous attitude towards one another, that we have a special obligation under our covenantal pledge to love one another in this way. Of course, we have to exercise wisdom as we give generously to one another. But if anything, we must err on the side of generosity, not stinginess. As one of the elders, I, I get to have a front row seat the way that you as a church do this all the time. And it's a, I get a front row seat of, of this. It doesn't happen publicly. It's not printed in our newsletter that goes out on, on Wednesday afternoons about those sorts of things that happen, but it does happen all the time. Members caring and serving one another and providing generously to financial needs. And it's a beautiful thing to witness. And it happens because we are motivated by a Christ-like and generous love to one another. This is what God has called us to do, to be generous as we give to one another and meet each other's needs in the body. So that's seven, eight. Eight, we assemble together. We assemble together. We also see that the early church got together day by day. Look at verse 46. Day by day. We see that they gathered both in, in large gatherings, right, in the temple courts, but they also gathered in small gatherings in each other's homes, large and small. But the day-by-day -day pattern of the, of the early church demonstrates how devoted the church was to one another to the, the intimacy and to the commitment of their fellowship. That the church is not just a Sunday morning activity, but it is an all-encompassing community. You know, I've seen many Christians who have so compartmentalized their lives 
that for them, church is just some, an event they go to for an hour or so on Sunday morning. But we have to remember, church is just not an event. Church is not an event. The church is a family, a family of saints committed to not only living life together, but living life together for Jesus. He's the reason we're together. And so there is an openness to our lives and there's a a commitment that we make to recurringly gather together with God's people. You see, the church isn't an event to attend, but a community to belong. We have to remember this. This means that, that a church family ought to develop the sort of community in which people are known by others that they're cared for by others, that you're prayed for by others, that you're discipled by others. It means that we open up our homes and our lives to the covenant members who are, in fact, our spiritual family. And if this, of course, happens on large-scale gatherings, like what we're doing here this morning, right, when the whole church together gathers together on the, the Lord's Day, much like the early church gathered at the temple courts, however, it also happens in smaller-scale settings, right, like, like community groups that meet in homes or, or shared meals with one another. The early church did all of that, and they did so gladly. Look at what the text says. They did so, they were sharing meals with glad and generous hearts. You see, there must be laughter when the church gathers together. There ought to be this sort of holy joy that exudes into beaming smiles and affections for one another. So are you involved in in this community? This community that God has birthed, the family of Redemption Church, do you prioritize your time and your relational energy for your church family? Or do you fly in and out on a Sunday morning hoping no one will realize that you're there? Do you have a community group that you're actively participating in, that you're committing to attending regularly and sacrificing to make sure that you can be a part of it? When was the last time that you shared a meal with another member of this church or, or prayed with another member of this church. See, part of this assembling together means that we open up our lives to others in this body. And so we commit to assembling on the Lord's day, yes, and amen. But there's this sort of assembly that ought to occur day by day. So I, I can't prove it. I don't have the data or the statistics, but, but I'm convinced that there are are members of Redemption Church getting together and touching base every single day of the week. Somewhere in this city, there are members of our church connecting, checking in on one another, messaging, grabbing coffee, grabbing lunch, meeting in a community group. That from our community group midweeks to these sort of check-ins, to these meals with one another, that God is doing something in which he is opening up our lives to one another. And we assemble regularly in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we should assemble together. And then ninthly, we want to share the gospel. We want to share the gospel. We see this in verse 47. We see that the early church was an evangelistic church. And look at what happened. This happened not just once a month, not just once a year, but this happened daily. Luke records in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved, day by day. This means, right, that people are coming to know the Lord day by day. That means that the church was sharing the gospel day by day, declaring the message of salvation to the community in which they lived. And so this church 
It had such a, a sweet koinonia, a sweet fellowship, a sweet community that had been birthed by the gospel. This church was not inwardly focused, not by any stretch of the imagination. They were gathering together, yes, but they were not isolating themselves from the watching world, but they were active. They were gathering publicly. They engaged daily in conversations with those outside of the faith about their Jesus and about their King. And so as the gospel forms us as a people, as we remember how God has brought us together in the name of Jesus Christ, as we submit to the teaching of the word, as we enjoy the fellowship together, as we break bread, as we pray together, we have to remember that the world is watching. The world is watching. And may we be out in it, inviting others to observe and speaking up and sharing the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You see, a gospel community multiplies as the gospel is being preached and lived out. Those without Christ hear about Christ. They hear about his love. They see it lived out tangibly in the community of the local church, and they come to know and trust Christ. You see, healthy churches share the gospel. They're evangelistic. They're outwardly focused. And through the the message of the gospel being preached and the, the life of the gospel being lived in the community, God multiplies their number day by day, adding to those who belong to the body. He says, as I reflect on this passage, I do find myself so very thankful for this church family. Uh, we really are far from perfect, but, but being a part of Redemption Church has helped me to believe that the local church really is the hope for the world. I always knew that in theory. But being a part of this body has helped me to see that Acts chapter 2 is not just some fairy tale. That it has helped me to see that the, the, the power and the beauty of what happens when people who are united around the gospel and who are committed to living it out together. And so though we can go through these list of nine activities, right, we can identify many areas of our lives in which we can grow and be more faithful in them. But, but I have to just pause and just first give thanks to God for how I believe he is doing these sorts of things in us, in you. As our fellowship continues to grow, and and may we seek to do all that God has called us to do as his church. May we be his people. May we be engaged in his mission. May we be committed to live for his glory and in love for one another. Of course, I would love for you who who are not a member of this body to, of course, join and be a part of what God is doing here as a covenant member to join this fellowship. And of course, we have our membership weekend coming up February 21st and 22nd. And if you're not a member here this morning, and I pray that this has caused a yearning in you to belong to this sort of community focused on the gospel, I, I want to personally invite you to join us that weekend. And so let me encourage you to stop by the welcome table on your way out. There'll be somebody there, and they would love to get you signed up for that membership weekend right after church. And we would love to talk to you about how you can join and be a part of this gospel family here at Redemption Church. But of course, to be a part of gospel community means that you first and foremost believe the gospel. And if you've yet to believe and to trust in the good news of Jesus Christ, let me invite you to do so today. That Christ has saved us. He has redeemed us. He has washed us clean and he has risen triumphantly over sin and over death. Christ is the king. 
This is what we believe most deeply at Redemption Church. And we implore you, we beg you, we invite you to come and to repent of your sins this day and to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your God and King. See, listen carefully. Any warmth, any love, any mercy that you receive from this body called Redemption Church is because we have first received it from the Lord. And we invite you to believe in this gospel and join us and belong to this gospel community called Redemption Church. Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for the gift of your local church. Lord, we know that there are a lot of churches that are broken, a lot of churches that fall short of, Lord, your vision for life together in the local body. And Lord, we confess, Lord, that we at Redemption Church, we are far from perfect. There are many ways in which we fall short. But Lord, I pray that, that most deeply, Lord, that we would be a church that, that holds to the gospel. Lord, that we would be committed to hearing the word rightly divided, the, the gospel rightly preached. And Lord, that, that that truth would shape our lives together as it overflows in love towards one another and bold evangelistic preaching and teaching in our world today. God, I pray, Lord, that, that increasingly Redemption Church would begin to mirror and look like what's described here in Acts chapter 2. And Father, we pray, Lord, that as you do this work within us, Lord, that we would understand that the ultimate goal is for your mission, so that we might share the gospel, so that the power of your grace might be displayed in and among us, and so that outsiders looking into this fellowship here at Redemption Church, that all would come upon them, a holy fear would come upon them, that they would recognize that something miraculous is taking place as they observe the way in which we love one another. And Lord, that we would find favor with those in this community, in this county. And Lord, that they would come and trust in Christ and be added to the number of your kingdom. God, we pray, Lord, that what is happening here in the birth of this church and the growth of this church, Lord, would not ultimately be about us, but it would be about your glory and your mission and the spread of your kingdom. So Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus and for his gracious work in us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.